Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Let's read the Bible together. So there's going to be two passages. The first passage will be Galatians 5, verse 13 to 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Our second passage is Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 18. So from verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. How else do you expect the Spirit to work? How else do you actually expect the Spirit to work in your life? I want to raise your expectations. So we're just going to dive into it straight tonight, alright? So the question is, how much do you expect the Spirit to work in your life? You see, I think there's often two dangers. One is that we go too much and we kind of want the Spirit to, to do these amazing miracles all the time. You know, we're going to have health, wealth and fun all the time. Glory now. And that's going to be, you know, oh, you know, I felt the prompting of the Spirit and I'm going to have that wealth. But tonight I want to raise your expectations of the Spirit. But 
the other danger, I think, is that we actually have too little of an expectation of what the Spirit will do in our lives. That is probably the danger for most of Sydney Anglican churches. Uh, I want to raise your expectation of the Holy Spirit and the work that He does in your life. You see, often what we do is we try to pull the supernatural out of Christianity. But the truth is that we have a God that is the one true and living God that he is working. And Tim Chester, uh, there's this book called, uh, what's it called? You Can Change. Um, And it's all about how your life can change through the Spirit. But he says this about the relationship that we have about Christianity. It's a dynamic relationship with the living God. The Spirit, the breath, the wind of God. That's that word pneuma, that all translates to those three things. The wind of God still blows through his people. Now, it might not be accompanied by shaking buildings or violent winds, but the Spirit still comes to bring life, power and courage. And I want to add to that change, that the Spirit can bring change. And I think probably for us, if you expect too little of the Spirit, there's actually, I guess, a little bit of an advantage for us because it means that we can expect little of ourselves. Do you know what I mean? The times when you kind of say, oh, I can't do that. Uh, I, I can't invite that friend uh, because I, that, that, they wouldn't say yes. Or when it comes to sin in our lives, we say, oh, man, like, I, would, I just can't get over it. Like, I, I can't let go of that sin. I can't beat that sin. If we have little expectation of what the Spirit can do, then we can have little expectation of ourselves. So tonight, I want to raise your expectation of the Spirit in making you holy. He can and He will make you holy. That is the truth, that He can and will make you more like Jesus. But you might say, but John, can He really make me holy? Like, can he actually make me holy, even the habitual sin that I've been living in? Can he actually help me to beat that sin? Or what about the sin that I know is wrong, but I kind of excuse because, well, it's not as bad as what Sandra does down the road. But before we start all that, we actually need to come back to the idea of why do we need to be holy? Why do we need to be holy? Well, the Bible tells us that God, who created the whole world and everything in it, uh, he was perfect in all his ways. And when he created humans, he walked with them. And there was this relationship. And nothing had defiled God's good world. That is, until sin entered the world. When humans decided to go their own way and to try to be like God. And so what sin does is sin separates us from God. It's like we're waging war against God and saying, God, I don't want what you've got. I'm going to choose my own way. Sin, well, holiness is like moral purity and sin is like the opposite of that. It's like no purity whatsoever. It's defiled. And sin, remember how we talked in that quiz, thinking about what holiness meant? There was those three words. Can you remember what those three words were? Set apart. Perfect. Does anyone remember the third one? 
I just can't remember what the third one was on the PowerPoint, so can't tell you. But it's that idea of being set apart and so and perfect. But what happens here is when we choose sin, we're not dedicated to God and his service. We're not for him, but we're dedicated to me, myself and I. I like to think of when I talk about sin, um, what's the middle letter in sin? What's the middle letter in sin? I, yeah. That's what sin is about. It's all about me and picking myself up, making myself feel good in the now. So the Bible tells us that God had a plan to dedicate for himself a people, to have a holy people who were perfect, who were seen as perfect, to make them holy, to set them apart for himself and for his service. And in the history of the Bible, we see God working to make that happen. So we see when the flood comes with Noah, that God wipes out the whole world because why? Because they were wicked, because they were defiled, because they were unholy. They were completely and utterly unholy. And so God wipes out the whole world but keeps Noah's family. And then what happens is God then provides the law and the sacrificial system. Why? So that we could see that we weren't holy, that we were defiled and that we actually needed someone to come in, that we needed something to happen to make us holy. And in the law, God told them to be holy because he is holy. And then later in the New Testament, 1 Peter would would quote that a very verse. He said this in 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16, he says this, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's what God said. So what is holiness? We've kind of already explored it a little bit. But holiness was used to set apart the different items uh, that would be used in the temple. They would be consecrated to then be declared holy. They'd be clean so that they could be declared holy. And they could enter into the holy of holies, where nothing unholy or defiled could enter in. And God called himself holy in Leviticus 11. This is what 1 Peter quoted. He said, I am the Lord your God. And he says to the Israelites, consecrate yourselves and be holy. Because I am holy. And what God is doing there is he declares himself to be perfect, to be morally pure, that there is nothing impure in him, no darkness. He cannot be made dirty by nothing, by anything or anyone. God is perfect. Now, if you have read any of your Bible, you might have heard, you know, at different times where people would call out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and that we'll do that in, in the time to come. When, in Hebrew, the, the repeat, repetition of those words are significant. So, say there was a hole here, and I wanted to tell you about the hole in the ground, um, and it was a really small hole. What I'd say is, it's a hole, right? So, it's a hole. But say like it was like the size of me, then I'd probably say something like, it's a whole hole, because it's like a big hole, right? But then, if I was to say it's an infinitely huge hole, then what I'd say is it's a whole, 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 right? And so when we are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, we are saying that he is infinitely holy, infinitely perfect, that he is infinitely good, that there is no darkness in him whatsoever, This is the God that we follow. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is so holy. And because God is holy, because he alone dwells in inapproachable light, because he is infinitely light, infinitely good, infinitely pure, and because he's the only uncreated being, 
then no common thing or no unclean thing can enter his presence. So that holy of holies in the temple, nothing unclean could enter it. They would tie a rope around the priest's leg just in case if he wasn't, uh, hadn't done the right thing, then they'd pull him out because he would have died being in the presence of God. Just like in the Old Testament times, items for the temple were cleansed and consecrated. So were the priests and the Israelites at different times. And so the people of the New Testament could be made holy. But we have a far greater gift in Jesus. We too can be made holy because of what Jesus has done. Now, I wonder for yourself, uh, for me, I don't generally wake up and look at myself in the mirror and go, John, holy. Right? Do you, have, you know your own heart and your own mind. You know where in your life is not holy. But I want to raise your expectation of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. The Spirit can make you holy. And this process of being made holy, we heard about earlier, is this word sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. Yeah. Now, it's this idea of being made holy, being set apart. And there's this fancy word that we add to it as well. Uh, And this one is progressive sanctification. So, everyone ready? We're going to say progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification. Now, this idea is being made more like Jesus uh, continually. As we live in this world, that we are slowly being made more like Jesus, being conformed to his likeness, who was the exact representation of the Father. And so, what the Holy Spirit is doing is sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus. And it's a journey. See, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Day by day, the Spirit is sanctifying you, renewing you, making you more like Jesus. And this is all in preparation for the purpose of serving God, just like those things in the temple would be consecrated to serve God and the priests would be consecrated to serve God. So we are being sanctified and consecrated to serve God now, but also even more in heaven. Sanctification is the spirit ruling over every part of your heart and slowly moving through your heart, making you more like Jesus. And the good news is, if you're a Christian, you have the spirit in you. When you were justified... When you had been declared righteous and forgiven, when you were justified, you received the Spirit and you have been being sanctified through that time. We are being progressively made holy. By the Spirit, we are able to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. That is, no to sin and yes to life. Now, um, uh, hands up if you like the beach. Yep. Uh, at the beach, you might have one day been walking along the beach and picked up a piece of what's called sea glass. Well, what happens is uh, a piece of glass uh, ends up in the ocean, something like this, you know, a broken beer bottle, broken wine bottle, uh, and it ends up in the, in the seawater, and it's tossed around. As it's immersed in that salt water, it's tossed around in the ocean. Through the torrents and the tides, uh, it gets knocked around. 
And it, what goes in is a sharp piece of glass and what comes out is this smooth, frosted, beautiful piece of glass. And that is like what sanctification is. That it slowly wears down the sharp pieces of the glass into a smooth, frosted piece of glass. What happens just like that for us is that we are slowly being shaped into the likeness of Christ. The Spirit is sanctifying us. But, I wonder if, like me, you have this battle in your mind. Because you go, awesome, I'm being, I'm being made into the likeness of Christ. But I still sin. I know that I still sin. I'm, I'm selfish, I'm proud. I know that I still sin. Before Christ comes back, we will continue to sin. That is a reality. Um, we, we've seen that our flesh wages war against us every second of every day. And in 1 John, uh, the writer says, if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim that we're without sin, then we're lying. We deceive ourselves. So we need to know that sin is in our life. Okay? We need to know that. But in the same breath, knowing that sin is in our life, uh, when we struggle with sin, it shows us that the Spirit is working in our hearts. When we see that it's a struggle, when we know that we are sinning and we want to fight it, then that's the work of the Spirit. Know that you're not alone. But I want to go back. You see, Paul, uh, you know, the guy who wrote tons of the New Testament, he battled with this idea as well, that he knew that he sinned. He said... Uh, in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So he's having this battle. It goes on in verse 22, he says, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And he goes on to say, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And preachers uh, over generations uh, have known that. Uh, a famous, famous guy, you might have heard of him, Spurgeon, uh, he, he was preaching one day and he got down and uh, he had a bit of an issue with his anger and he would you know, have fits of rage and kind of yell at people. And he yelled and then he ended up in his basement weeping. Because he knew the weight of his sin. He knew the battle that was in his life. But he also knew the truth. And he would go on to preach about the faith and repentance. That through faith and repentance we are being made like Christ. Well, this is why we read from Galatians today. uh, Was to kind of look at this idea of flesh and spirit. And so um, you've got this verse on the screen, verse 16. It says, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, we're going to learn another Greek word. How good, right? Um, so, this word is sarx. All right, you ready? Everyone say sarx. Yeah. You don't have to say that about my preaching. It's okay. Um, no. It, this word sarx is, is this idea of flesh, which is living out your own gratification, uh, living for your own gratification, fulfilling your own sinful desires, 
um, and letting sin rule in your heart. So that's what he's talking about. When he says flesh, that's what he's talking about. Often when we see that word, you might go, oh, that's sexual sin. No, no, no. Sexual sin is part of it, but it's actually to do with all of our sinful desires, as we later see in the list. But then the word spirit, this is the idea of the spirit reigning in your heart, where the spirit reigns, where we actually are being formed into the likeness of Christ. And Paul says, he says, you no longer are to do what you want, but you're to live a life of obedience to the Father, that is the life of the Spirit. And then he lists off the acts of flesh that he says are obvious. So look with me at verse 19. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And so these ones are the sexual sins. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. So he says, these are acts of the flesh. And then he goes on to talk about uh, what we worship. So then he says in verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft, that we're worshipping other things other than God. Right? And then the next ones are to do with our heart towards other people and our relationships. He says hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy. I wonder if, as I've been reading this list, one of those things you know is a real struggle for you. Well, the next, next two, drunkenness and orgies, are to do with substance abuse. Now, orgies aren't like sexual orgies. They're actually like just having a, a, a big booze up, um, like it's like an orgy of alcohol. And so he's saying, don't let those things rule your life. And then he gives a pretty, pretty stark warning. But then he goes on to share what it is to... He lists the fruit of the Spirit. So when the Spirit is working in your heart, then you're becoming more like Christ. And Christ exampled these perfectly. More than anyone you'll ever see, he lives these perfectly. So, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit is working in our lives to make us more like His Son, Jesus, consecrating us into His likeness, making us like Him. Now, as I've been talking, you might feel like it's kind of, I'm talking about you personally, which is true. But it's also about us as the church. You see, there's, um, we don't really have a word for it in the English, um, but He's saying use, right? Not as in like sheep, but use, plural, all of us. Use are called to be sanctified. And so he's calling the church and the individuals in the church to be sanctified, to be made more like Christ. All right, so we've talked about sanctification, the role of the Spirit. What does this mean for us now? Well, there's two things that I want us to walk away with today. The first one is know the flesh and the Spirit. That is... Know what is the flesh. Know what is the life of living, living out that flesh, living out a sinful nature. And, you know, Paul said in verse 24, he said, you have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. You have done this. And then in Philippians, he later on says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, we want to actually know what it is that is living by the flesh. And we want to know what it is by living by the spirit. And how do you do that? Well, I want to encourage you to pick up your Bible this year. Pick it up and read it. Listen to it. Dwell on it. Let it shape your heart. Let it point out 
your, um, your sin in your life and where you should be. And the Spirit will work in you as you read and listen to the Bible. So that's the first thing. Know the flesh and the Spirit. Know what it is that is the flesh and know what are examples of living by the Spirit. And that's the first one. And the second one is raise your expectation of the Holy Spirit. When you feel um, despair because of your sin, when you feel like you are just, you feel like, you know, what, what Paul said in Romans, a wretched person. When you weep because of your sin, know that you're not alone and that the Spirit is shaping you. Uh, there's this great book uh, by a dude named Dane Ortland, uh, and it's called How Does God Change Us? It's a short book, so it's great for people like John Batten. Um, this book, uh, if you know that you've got sin that you're struggling with and you want to change it, I'd encourage you to pick up this book. Um, first person to come and get this from me today can take it. Because um, uh, we want to fight our sin, right? But what he quotes in here um, from C.S. Lewis, a letter that C.S. Lewis wrote in 1942. And this is what he says. He says, I know, this is C.S. Lewis, I know all about the despair of overcoming chronic temptations. It is not serious provided self-offended petulance, annoyance at breaking records, impatience, etc. doesn't get the upper hand. No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready. The towels are put out and the clean clothes are airing in the cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give up completely and say, oh, I can't do it, so I'm giving up on this Christianity thing. It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present to us. It is the very sign of his presence. The doctrine of sanctification gives us great hope. It is God who works in us to will and to act. Um, I, uh, after, I read uh, Tim Chester's, some of Tim Chester's book again, and um, he talks, I used to think of um, sanctification as kind of pushing a boulder up the hill, that it's like a massive hard job, that we are trying to push the boulder up the hill to get to the top. But actually what it is, is it's the spirit has, is pushing the boulder down. The boulder is going down the hill. And that we actually need to step out of the road of that boulder and let the Spirit do his work in our hearts. Um, sanctification, what I mean sorry, by that is that um, we don't want to change often. Sometimes sin feels too good for us now, that it, it actually is better for us. You know, like if I keep all this money for myself, um, or if you know, I get some kind of pleasure out of this, it's good for me now. But really what we need to do is we need to step out of the way and let that boulder go and let the Holy Spirit sanctify us. So sanctification is the work of God in us. And with God's help, we are involved by stepping out of the road, by responding in faith and repentance, by recognising the flesh and letting it change us. I want to finish by reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, these two verses. Um, It is God's will 
that you should be sanctified. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. We've been called to live a holy life, and so we, and we need the Spirit's help to help us live that holy life. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, um, and then we're going to sing uh, that. We're going to sing a song, "Only a Holy God," where we celebrate what it is that God is able to do, and it's only a holy God that would be able to do that. He is so unique. And so as we sing that song, uh, let that be a moment of worship for you to actually just, as the church, celebrate what it is that God is able to do, that he is able to sanctify us through his spirit. So I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us, and then we're going to sing. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for all that you have done. You are holy. There is no one like you. Holy, holy, holy are you, the Lord God Almighty. And God, uh, we know that we let the flesh get the best of us. But Jesus, we thank you that you chose to live the perfect life for us. That you got off your throne to walk the life that we could never live that then you would die the death that we deserve to die because of our sin and our selfishness. And in you dying and rising again, that you would give us this great gift of being justified and now being made more and more like you each day. And so, Spirit, we want to ask that you would help us to be sanctified. Would you make us into the likeness of Jesus? Conform us to him. God, we pray knowing that you are able to. Lord, would you lift our expectations of what the Spirit can do, of those sins that we know that we've held on to for far too long. Would you work in our hearts to let them go and let the Spirit reign in those parts of our heart. Lord, we give you thanks that you don't fend us, uh, you don't leave us to fend for ourselves, but that you are working. And so, God, we want to praise you, our holy God now. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatt's.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.